This bonus episode is about how this project and podcast came to be. It all started when Robert Helms, Bob, found anarchism in his late 20s in Philadelphia in the 1980s. Okay, Bob, give me a definition of anarchism. It is a way of thinking, a philosophy, and it means that everyone should be able to make decisions about their own lives and have control of their own lives without a government or a church or any organized body having control over the the major decisions of their lives. West Philadelphia has a sizable anarchist scene. And if you were or are in that scene, then you know about the MOVE organization and their history, especially the events of May 13th, 1985. I didn't grow up in Philadelphia. And in 1985, I was just a high school student. So I had never heard of MOVE or May 13th. That all changes in the spring of 2019 when Bob says he wants to tell me about his friends, the MOVE people. The people involved happen to live down the street from me. It's the MOVE organization, and there were two gigantic confrontations with the police, one in 1978 in Powelton, where there was a shootout and a policeman was killed. The second siege was in the Cobbs Creek area. Police evacuated the neighborhood and demanded that the MOVE family come out, MOVE organization or family, whichever you want to call it. And uh, they were barricaded. They had a bunker on the roof, gasoline cans on the roof, and they uh, refused to come out. And there were children inside. The police dropped a bomb from a helicopter. It became the most notorious event that ever happened in Philadelphia. Four years after the bombing, Bob moves to West Philadelphia and finds his politics, declaring himself to be an anarchist. And in 1992, he invites the only adult survivor of the May 13th bombing, Ramona Africa, to come speak at the anarchist space. We had a little venue on Baltimore Avenue called the A-Space, the anarchist space. We had only created the, the venue a year earlier, so we were. it was like this new and lively activity. And uh, I approached Ramona Africa, This was the year she got out of jail. She spent seven years in jail for allegedly riot. Uh, And I was the first, I was speaking on behalf of the first anarchist group to have a MOVE member speak at a venue. She's probably spoken at every single one in the country by now. But uh, at that time, it was was a new uh, connection. So Ramona came and did a, a talk at a tiny, it's a storefront size space. And... The place was packed. People sitting on the floor, in between the chairs, in the aisles, and uh, people leaning above each other at the, at the entrance. And Ramona's in the front, and she starts her talk with the same thing. She held, holds out her fist and says, on a move. But right after she does the on a move, a black cat. Now, this is a symbol of anarchism, a black cat symbol of Direct action, but anarchists really like black cats. I have two. Just creeps between the people, walks up all the way through the little the people, and sits down in front of Ramona, and just sits there looking at the audience. Everybody's saying, "Ooh, wow!" It was just so beautiful. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it any better than this. It was really it was very special. That day, the stray black cat gets adopted by Bob, and he names her after the dead anarchist Voltaire Declare. And more importantly, Bob becomes a Move supporter. 
for the next 25 years. The way of opposing police brutality, police violence, police murders in my own neighborhood was learning about the move story, supporting them in some way that was would be meaningful. And that's pretty much what everybody did, all the other anarchists. After Bob tells me the move story, I thought it was clearly tragic and full of injustices, especially because of the children. I tell Bob that I think this could be the basis for a powerful and informative podcast project. As a longtime move supporter, Bob quickly connects me to Mike Africa Jr., who gets back to me immediately and very enthusiastically because he loves talking to the press. Mike agrees to recorded phone interviews and sit-down interviews in both Philadelphia and Los Angeles. In total, I interviewed Mike three times in person and five times over the phone. But when I ask Mike about interviewing other MOVE members like Ramona, Janine, Janet, Sue, or Alberta, he's dodgy. And with regard to Alberta, he says she doesn't give interviews because it's too painful for her because she was the closest person to John Africa because she was the coordinator's wife. Unlike most media projects that have researched the MOVE history or the MOVE organization, I reached out to anyone and everyone who has ever been mentioned, noted, or spoken about MOVE history. One of the many people I interviewed in the first few months was Andino Ward, father of Birdie Africa, the only child to escape on May 13th, 1985 from the residential row house 6221 Osage, occupied by MOVE. Andino Ward, how can I help you? Hi, Andino, it's Beth McNamara. Oh, hey, Beth, how are you? Hold on one sec. Sure. All right, there we go. How are you? Good, good, good. Andino and I speak for five hours about MOVE, May 13th, Philadelphia politics, past and current, and all about when Hollywood producers started calling about life rights and interviews. I've had, uh, Beth, a ton of offers on movies. Spielberg, Danzel, Debbie Allen. I've had all these people come basically with offers of movies and not one of them has come to fruition because they all want to do this really, really stupid stuff. I actually have a letter from Spielberg, but the final letter, which indicates basically, you know, please forgive us for not being able to to really, you know, move forward with this project because we were just not brave enough. That's exactly what it says in the letter from Amber given interviews for, you know, a number of different documentaries which have, that I am aware of, not uh, come to fruition. I've had so many people come to me and their approach is just so mundane. It's just not honest. It's just not truthful. Andino is not a MOVE member or an ex-MOVE member. His first wife, Rhonda, became a MOVE member in 1973 and brought their son, a wee wolf, into MOVE, preventing Andino from having custody or even contact. I'm about to wrap up our five-hour interview when Andino brings up meeting with an ex-MOVE member and a child custody lawyer in a restaurant. I can't remember his name. Uh, I met with him, and I still can't remember his name. But anyway, he was the uh, guy that had a child, I think, with one of the uh, MOVE members, and that uh, particular group of MOVE members lived in New Jersey. He worked for uh, the uh, airline. Uh, I forgot whether it was USA or one of them. So uh, he was like a re- he was like a regular person. Yes. Oh, you don't know this guy's story. No. 
Andino is how I first found out about John Gilbride, his 2002 murder, and his connection to MOVE. This leads me to newspapers and reporters and the Gilbride family, who agree to participate in the podcast in the hope it will result in justice for John and closure for them. Mike Africa Jr. posts on social media that he's out in LA for a paid speaking gig. So I reach out and he agrees to meet me at a podcast studio for another interview. It is Friday, February 28th, 2020, and we're in Los Angeles. So as always, I start with consent. Do you consent for the recording, for this podcast? Sure. Okay. I asked Mike a lot of questions about MOVE. How did you and Robin meet? Can you tell me, like, where you lived, who lived there? What was, like, an average day of living at headquarters? Did you go to school? Did anybody go to school? So your children did not go to school. Who determines who gets the name Africa? When a child is born in MOVE, does their birth certificate say Africa? Does MOVE still follow the guidelines of home births? If they don't have a birth certificate, how do they exist? Does MOVE have a structure? Does somebody have the ultimate say? Ramona or Pam or Sue or Alberta? How many people would you say are actual MOVE members with the name Africa right now? That wouldn't. I was working my way up to asking about John Gilbride. As you know, I am a uh, deep digger. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's good. I like it. Okay. I love this. Okay. So in my research, um, I wanted to get your take on something. John Gilbride. Mm -hmm. For the next hour or so, I ask Mike very direct questions about John, and a lot of his responses are incomplete or evasive attempts to not answer my question. And 90% of this whole interview doesn't stand up to basic fact-checking, which in most projects would be considered a waste of time. But for this investigative project about MOVE, which is a cult, it was useful, because I looked at Mike's untruths as clues. Six months after this interview, Mike calls me all upset because he gets a call from his maternal aunt, Gail Sims, a former MOVE member who I had called to ask about John Gilbride. The easygoing Mike that I was used to was not the Mike that was on the end of the phone. He was mad, and in my opinion, nervous, and he was trying to manage the focus of the podcast. He was trying to manage me. This raised red flags for me and prompted me to seek out more move sources, which I did, and all of them said they had heard my name before I ever even called because Mike had told them to not talk to me. But they did, and that's how we made this podcast. The producers wish to stress that all individuals referenced in this podcast series are presumed innocent unless or until they are proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law in the United States of America.